chapter number 12. I'm going to run through a couple announcements as we go into that tonight as well. Um, only three people have signed up to help with the Food for Life ministry thing next week and that following Saturday. And out of a church of almost 200, I need more than three people. So if you could please find some time to help, that would be greatly appreciated. And uh, I know if I said I had a free game for you to go to or other things or a free dinner, some people would do it. But we need to be involved and reach out and help with things. And so if you could help with that, I would sure appreciate it. I was shocked when I only saw three names on that list. And so if you could help, that would be great. And uh, there's Saturday, or if you can't do Saturday, there's some time during the week of not this week, but the following week to help put bags together. And so either one of those. So. And that's good. Romans chapter number 12 is where we are. Romans chapter number 12. And it's a good thing uh, with that one too. I believe you can have your kids help out, help you out a little bit on this one because it's out in the public and things. It's good to teach our children how to serve others and to do that stuff. And so if you're able to, that would be great. Romans chapter number 12 is where we are tonight. We've gone a long ways in the book of Romans, but there's still a long ways to go. I was looking this last week, adding things up. And I thought that by the end of December, we'd be through the book of Romans. And we'd be starting a new series on Sunday nights going into January. And I added it up. If it goes now according to plan, it will be April before we are through the book of Romans. We've still got a ways to go on the book of Romans. But we look at Romans chapter 12. Most of us know these verses. But I want to. I hope that after the past 11 chapters that we've gone through... You can see this in context with what Paul is talking about. And maybe it will come a little bit more alive to you and be a help to you in your life. And sometimes I know we look at passages that are like, oh, I know this passage. I've studied this passage many times. You know the Word of God can still teach you something even when you've looked at it thousands of times? It's amazing what the Word of God can do. It's the only book that can do that. I've read lots of other books lots of times, and after many times it doesn't get any better. It just stays about the same. But the Word of God... It's amazing it being an alive book, what God and what the Spirit of God can do. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we need your help tonight. Thank you for this passage of scripture. And uh, I know with time change, it was dark before, about by five tonight. And it just feels later. I feel tired. I know many in this room are tired tonight. But I know you got something for us from your word. Help us tonight. Guide our thoughts. Guide our direction. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you remember, from chapter 9 through chapter number 11, Paul kind of takes a break in his letter to the Romans and he focuses on salvation and his desire for the Jews to get saved. That's really what the focus is from chapter 9 through 11. And now Paul is returning back to the main theme of the book. And he spent a lot of time talking about how we get saved. And what, and think about it, and what we are saved from. And what salvation has done for us. What we've learned as we've gone through the book of Romans is that salvation, we did nothing to earn it. There's nothing that we could do. It's all God and not us. 
And because of that, because of all that the Lord has done, because he's chosen us, because of all that he has done that we've talked about for almost a year now, because of all that, Paul gets into, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, sometimes I feel like when the chapters were added and the verse numbers were added, sometimes it takes away from everything, but I'm sure glad they're there. I, would li- I wouldn't like to tell you, turn to the verse or turn to the words that say, I beseech you. It's somewhere about three-fourths of the way through the book of Romans and see if you can find that. I am thankful for turn to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. That's very handy. But I do think sometimes we look at these verses and we think they're a separate verse. It's a separate thought. It's not how it is. I want to talk tonight about a living sacrifice. I want to talk about the end of verse number 2. It says that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How can we prove? How can we try it, test it, let the world see that God's will is not only good, but we learn in life to accept it, and we learn that it is there to perfect us and to mature How do we do that? Well, verse 1 and 2 up to the end gives us the ingredients for living that type of life. How can we prove God's will? By how we live. The way we live matters. Does it get you any closer to heaven? Nope. Just did all that for you. Does it get you any closer to God? Nope. But after all that God has done for you and me, everything that he's done, and do you want me to go back and read all 11 chapters again to remind you of all of it tonight? No, we won't do that, but that's the gist of this here. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. We see Paul's focus shifts, and he does this in most of the books that he writes. We went through the book of Ephesians before. It's the same setup. The first three chapters of Ephesians are practical books, and they have, or actually I should say they're doctrinal books. They teach us a lot of doctrine, teach us about how it is. And then because of how it is, this is how you live. That's what Ephesians does. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 says, okay, so God's done all this for you. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Walk in the spirit. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It goes through all those things because it says this is what God has done. And this is Bible doctrine here. Now because of that, live this way. Romans, same thing, first 11 chapters. This is what God has done. Now live this way. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The importance of a holy life. Paul tells us what God desires for us. And as we dive in tonight, I won't be too long, I don't think, but I want to look at this thing of being a living sacrifice. 
And being able to say when my days are done on this earth that I was able to prove that I've tried and tested the, the will of God and that it's good, that's acceptable, and that it made me into what God wanted me to be. It perfected me. It matured me. Sometimes we look at God's will as a destination. God's will keeps going. God's will is not you get there one time. I got to God's will and now my life is set. We hear our young people say, I want to I find God's will. You're going to spend a lifetime searching for God's will. God has a desire. God's will is important. God's will is not always easy, but God's will is always good. And it will do us good when we learn to accept God's will and what God's trying to do in our lives. As we look at this tonight, I want to talk about a living sacrifice. It starts out, number one, with the worship of God. The worship of God. You notice the wording of verse number one. Paul tells us that yielding our bodies to God is our reasonable service. The word reasonable comes from the same word from which we get the word logic. So we see that it is a logical thing. After all God has done for us, for us to yield our bodies to Him. It's reasonable. It's logical. And when we look at this, you think of it, it has reference to the function of the Levites, what they performed in the tabernacle and the temple. It's connected to the idea of worship. Sacrifices were made to worship God. So that phrase there is basically telling us, that we are to yield our bodies to the Lord because it's our logical service of worship before God. In other words, when we yield ourselves to Him, it is the highest form of worship you can find. Sometimes I think we look at worship and you think because you raise your hand during a song, you're worshiping God. That is, I'd see nothing wrong and it's a good thing to raise your hand and worship God. That's Bible. That's found in the Bible. And it might be good if we followed what the Bible says. But if that's all you think worship is, there's a lot more to worship than raising your hand and singing a song. That might be one aspect of worship. But the greatest worship you can give to God is by living your life of being a sacrifice to Him. Yielding yourself to Him. That is worship. That's an important thing, and we're looking at this tonight as we go through here, you know, you think about it, you tell God, God, I love you. And what did Jesus say? If you love me, you're going to do what I say, right? I use Brian's language for it. But if you love me, keep my commandments. You say, God, I love you. Well, do you keep his commandments? Because if you love him, that's what you're going to do. That's what the Bible says. So as we look at this thing of worshiping God, letter A, we see the challenge. We see the challenge. We are called to present your bodies as reference to us. I personally, as we look at this, and we look at I am to yield myself to God. Every area of my life. That's a tough one. Brian likes certain things that God doesn't like. Our flesh wars against God, doesn't it? It goes contrary to the things of God. 
But as we look here and we see this challenge, we are to present. That means to place at one's disposal. That means that we are no longer holding anything back from God and we're saying, God, my life is yours to control. Isn't that what we sang about this morning? That's what it's saying. That's the thought there. God, I'm giving you me. Have your way. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I'm the clay. All to Jesus I surrender. That's what it's talking about. That's the challenge. Present your body to God. The idea here is total surrender to God. And what happens is many people, they get saved, and they don't want to live a life for God. I don't understand that tonight. God doesn't make you live for him. If I were God, I would probably make people live for me, but I'm not God, and thank God I'm not God. But he doesn't make us live for him. But after all he's done, it's only logical and reasonable that we, his people, would surrender ourselves and yield our bodies to him. Say, well, why? We see the challenge. We see letter B, we see the cause. What is the cause? You notice the phrase, what does Paul beseech us by? The mercies of God. That phrase carries us back to everything that the Apostle Paul has been talking about. He's been talking about the fact that he you know, that we're redeemed. And we're only redeemed tonight because of the grace of God. We may ask, why would God have the right to control every area of our life? The reason is simply put because he went to a cross and died and purchased you and I on the cross. That's what 1 Corinthians 6, 20 tells us. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Chapter 7, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Since it's true, in all reality... We honestly have no rights. Let's be honest tonight. He owns us. Am I wrong by stating that? I am not wrong. He purchased you and I on the cross. We are supposed to listen to what he says, regardless of what he tells us. May we never forget tonight that before Jesus, we were headed to hell. May we remember tonight that before God tugged on our hearts, we wanted nothing to do with God on our own. But he loved us, and he saved us by his grace. He convicted us. He called us. He gave us the faith to believe. He saved us by his grace. It seems to me that I owe him everything because of what he's done for me. Paul said it, by the grace of God, I am what I am. May that teach us why God has the right to issue any command he wants to to us. And may we realize tonight, we see a challenge here, but we see the reason behind it because of the mercies of God. We see letter C. We see the consecration. 
we're told that these bodies, this flesh that we have, is to be presented a living sacrifice. You know the Old Testament. When you think of a sacrifice, it sounds pretty painful, doesn't it? The sacrifice was killed. Blood was shed. In the Bible, an animal that belonged to a person's offering, that animal was put to death, its blood was shed, and its flesh was, and its flesh was burned on the altar. Does that sound like something you really want to do? The difference between what the Lord is calling us to do and what he called those Old Testament saints to do is their sacrifice was to die. Our sacrifice is to live. Their sacrifice was to die. Ours is to live. There are many similarities between the sacrifices. An Old Testament sacrifice, it was costly. It was painful, it was difficult, it was personal, and it was necessary. May I remind you tonight that being a living sacrifice is costly. It's painful, it's difficult, it's personal, and it's necessary. When I think about being a living sacrifice, there are a few thoughts I want to give you. Number one. Think of the fact that living sacrifice means that we are to be on the altar wherever we are. Our life should be lived this way. Regardless of where your geographical surroundings are, we need to remember that we are a living sacrifice and we belong to God. When you go to that party, you still belong to God. And you're still his, no matter what party you go to. If you go in the bar, you still belong to him. And maybe you go for a party or you go with some friends, whatever the case may be. But there's not a break for a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice, we are always to be on the altar wherever we are. It might change the way we live just a little bit if we thought that way. But we think it's our lives we can do as we please and God will just put up with it. But a lot, you say, I don't think that way. Well, maybe it's just how our actions make it seem at times. But when we talk about this living sacrifice, there's never an instant in your life where you're not to be on the altar as a living sacrifice. Number two, a living sacrifice means a constant, continuous sacrifice. It's not something you take up to the altar one day and take back the next and be like, I was just kidding. I'm going to take a break from it for a little bit. No, it's a constant, continuous sacrifice. We are to offer this body up to the Lord and never ask for it back again. That's what a sacrifice is. Number three, a living sacrifice means that the body sacrifices its own desires for those of God's. You and I all have, we have desires. We have things that we want to do. But do you know what living sacrifice means? I sacrifice what I want to do and do what he would have me do. That's what a living sacrifice does. 
it sounds good and it's a good and it's and Paul beseeches us to be a living sacrifice, but let's be honest tonight. How many Christians truly are living sacrifices? Number four. Number four. A living sacrifice means that the body is devoted to the task of serving God. This means God should be number one. Greater than any ambition, greater than any desire of the body, we need to commit ourselves to do what God would have us do. A living sacrifice. We see how are we supposed to worship God. We see first a challenge. We see the cause by the mercies of God. We see the word, the consecration and a, a living sacrifice. And we see letter D. We see the conditions to the sacrifice. What conditions do we see? The first condition that we see underneath um, letter D number one is a holy sacrifice. You see that there? It says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy what's the word holy mean set apart your sacrifice is called to be set apart it's not like Cain and you bring the fruit of the ground to God you don't bring the sacrifice you think God wants and say well here God here's my sacrifice no the type of sacrifice that God wants is a set apart holy sacrifice. The idea here is that when a life is sold out to God, separated and sacrificed to God, the Father, it will be something different, set apart, different from others. A holy sacrifice. And I know we look at ourselves and we say, well, what holiness do I have in that of myself? We don't have holiness in ourselves. Our holiness comes, what well, says the song says, the kids are saying that holiness is Christ in me. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, shouldn't this body, this sacrifice, be a holy sacrifice that's set apart? Because of who lives in you? This body shouldn't be like the body of someone who doesn't know the Lord. They don't have the Spirit of God. They don't have what I have tonight. This world doesn't get it. But we see the conditions here. We see a holy sacrifice. We see number two. We see an acceptable sacrifice. Acceptable the word acceptable means well-pleasing, satisfying. Do you realize tonight that you can please God by how you live to some degree? Do you realize that? Because it is, as it says here, which is, as we looked at verse number one there, it says... Holy, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Let me ask you tonight. 
do you live in a way that pleases God? What do you do with the body that God's given you? Do you use it in a way that pleases him? After all he's done, it's only reasonable that we would. We see number one tonight that these two verses, they revolve around the worship of God. Number two, we see they revolve around the wisdom of God. How can we be a living sacrifice and be a holy, be an acceptable sacrifice living in the world that we live in today? Well, look at God's advice and the wisdom of God to us. We see in verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see number or letter A underneath number two, don't mold yourself to this world. Don't, and when we look at this and we look at those words there, we're commanded here not to be conformed to this world. The word conform means to fashion or to shape. It literally means to mold. We're not to let the world push into its mold and let it mold us. When I think of a mold, I think of a cookie cutter. You have dough, and you spread it out. You might use a rolling pin, whatever the case may be. And you take that cookie cutter, you push it into the dough, and the dough molds to the cookie cutter, and you have the shape of a cookie. And what the Bible says here and what God says is, don't let this world mold you. Far too many Christians, far too many churches today, far too many so-called Christians let this world mold them into what they want them to be. And that's what Paul, under inspiration here, is trying to say. You see, this world, they're controlled by its influence. And we know that God is not the one who influences this world. And we know the works of the flesh are found in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21, and there are many, and as we look at those verses, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I told you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And God says there are things and concepts and other things that aren't even on this list, but those things, you don't let the world squeeze you into its mold and don't conform yourself and don't act like this world. You're not of this world. This world is not our home. We're simply passing through. That's all that we're doing. And if we're going to be a living sacrifice and it's going to be something that's holy, acceptable unto God, you've got to not let this world mold you into what it wants you to be. Because I don't know if you've noticed, this world wants to mold us into what it thinks a Christian should be. But I want you to understand something tonight. This world does not know how a Christian needs to be. So why are we letting this world tell us how Christians should be? Because that's exactly what this is talking about right here. You see, you want to know how a Christian should be? Here you go. Read this book, and this book will tell you how a Christian should be tonight. Don't let this world, and don't be conformed. Don't let this world conform you to its image. But what does it say next? Not only letter A, don't mold yourself to this world, but letter B, 
We see transform your mind. We're commanded to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed gives us our English word metamorphosis. It describes the transformation a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. And you know the fact that caterpillars and butterflies are the same creature, right? I hope you knew that. What happens when the caterpillar enters the cocoon and later emerges is that part of the insect that resides on the inside is allowed to be manifested on the outside. Let me repeat that for you. What happens when the caterpillar enters the cocoon and later emerges is that the part of the insect that resides on the inside is allowed to be manifested on the outside. Hey, Christian, don't let this world mold you into what it wants you to be. Instead, let God that lives inside of you, let him flow outside of you and let him transform you into what he made you to become. That's a powerful thought. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean, the renewing of your mind? How do we renew our minds? That happens through the Word of God. That happens through our time with God. That happens as we let the Spirit of God lead us. We can be transformed. God wants to do something inside of each and every one of us. You see, tonight, being a living sacrifice, it revolves around the worship of God. The ultimate worship you can give God is not singing a song in praise to Him, and God likes that too. But it's by saying, God, I'm yours. You do as you see fit. You're in control, I'm not. You want me to do this, I'll do what you want. I'm dead to myself. I'm here to let you live through me. We see that these verses also fill us in on the wisdom of God on how to be a living sacrifice. This world will not help you become a living sacrifice. This world wants nothing of you to be like the Lord. It wants to make you less and less like Him. And if they could push you into its mold and make you what this world wants you to be, the devil would be happy with that. But God says, be not conformed to this world. But you need to be transformed. What's on the inside needs to come out. And that happens through the renewing of your mind. As you spend time daily, let me just help you tonight. You need the Word of God daily. I encourage you to pick up God's Word. Did you read it today? Did you read it this last week? You say, oh, pastor, you talk about it all the time. Did you do it? You'll never be a living sacrifice if you can't read the Bible. You will always be a pathetic Christian if you don't learn to read God's Word. You cannot grow. You cannot become what God wants you to be. And you'll never get anywhere in the Christian life without God's Word. Period. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind comes through the Scriptures. It comes through that time in prayer. Do you have a time of prayer? 
Yep, three times a day. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. You know, it would do some of us good if you just quit praying at every meal. Because your prayer is the same quick, repetitious prayer you pray every other time. Maybe cut it out for a while, and then you'll get back to where it actually means something. We don't like repetitious prayers, but we do it all the time for our meals. And I'm convicting myself when I say that, because sometimes I'll sit down to pray for a meal, and it's like I just prayed the same thing I always pray. I don't think that's good. I think it's good to take the time, and we get to talk to the King of Kings. Think about that. But we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that comes as we spend time with Him and in His Word. See this being a living sacrifice that revolves around the worship of God, it revolves around the wisdom of God, and then number three and lastly tonight, it revolves around the will of God. The ultimate way to worship God is to be a living sacrifice to Him. And the way you're going to become a living sacrifice to God is through not conforming to this world, but being transformed through your time with God. And then we see, lastly tonight, that as we yield our bodies and our minds to the Lord, His will becomes more clear and we follow His will. The will of God. I've heard people preach through this passage and they said, well, there are three different wills of God. There's the good will of God. And if you're really good, you can do the good will of God. If you're okay, you can have the acceptable will of God. Or if you live your life really, really good, you can be, you can have the perfect will of God for your life. You need to strive for God's perfect will for your life. But God's got a perfect, a good, and a permissible will. Let me help you tonight. God has one will. These are adjectives describing God's will. I'm not the brightest language in the room, and I didn't get all A's in English. I didn't get all B's either. We'll just leave that there. But there are three adjectives used to identify the will of God in this passage to close out. We look at as we think about letter A, we see a description of God's will. What's the description? Where are we at on time? We've got seven minutes. We're all right. We see a description of God's will. What's the description? Number one, the will of God is good. Regardless of what God may ask you or I to do, we find out at the end that God's will is good. Just like when he created everything, he looked at it and it was good. Even says it was very good. It's the devil and your flesh and my flesh that tells us that God's trying to hurt us by what we go through. God will never do anything but good. That's why the Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good. God's will is good tonight. Man, we're studying on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights, the life of Joseph. Genesis 50, verse number 20. Do we have that one up on the screen? 
But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Hey, church, tonight, God's will is good. We're describing God's will. God's will is good. Say, well, pastor, it hasn't always brought good things into my life. It works together for good. Not all things are good. We know that. They work together for good. Not all circumstances, not all the things that have happened in your life that are within the will of God are good. But they work together for good, which means God's will is good tonight. So you don't need to be afraid of God's will because God's will is good. Number two, it is acceptable. We need to learn to accept it. Remember, Abraham prayed. Well, God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And your seed's going to be as the sand of the sea. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Sarah, your wife's going to give birth to a child, and eventually Isaac came along. Can you imagine what a day that must have been? Isaac is finally there. And then Genesis 22 comes into play. God says, Abraham, take your son. Go offer him on the mountain. Does Abraham argue with God? He accepts it. Why does he accept it? Because God said that he would raise up seed, didn't he? That's some faith right there. Far too many people want to fight with God about his will. It's not fair. This isn't what I want. One of the best lessons you can learn in life is to accept it. Accept it. Be ready to follow it. Accept it. And then God's will, number three, it is perfect. It will mature you into the person God wants you to become. It's perfect. It's complete. It doesn't need anything else. In letter B, we see a demonstration of God's will. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove here means to live out. God's will and God's purpose for all of us is to be able to live out the fact. God wants, now listen, let me tie this all together and we're done here. God wants to live out the fact that his will is good. God wants us to live out his will is acceptable. And God wants us to live out the fact that his will is perfect. You do that, 
by being a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, because it's our reasonable service because of all that God has done for us. And the way you live as a living sacrifice is by not letting this world conform to its mold and becoming more like this world. You let God's word, you let God himself, you let the spirit of God that lives inside of you transform you into what God wants you to become. And that's how you prove that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. You get it? I guess I could have said that sentence at the very beginning. We could have gone home a long time ago. Glad you're laughing about that. That's good. A few laughs there. Need a little bit more explaining than that. But after all God has done, let's live for him. And the way you're going to live for him and serve him is not by letting this world push you and making you what it wants you to be. What's going to happen is you let this book transform your heart. And as that heart is transformed, it's going to show on the outside. And as you do that, you are going to show this world that God's will is awesome. It's good. It's acceptable. And it's perfect. And our job, we're going to mess up. We're not going to always be a living sacrifice like we should be. We're not always going to do everything perfectly. But my job is to make God look good. My job is to make his will look good. Are you, in the world you live in today, making God look good? Or are you making God look bad? He wants you to live out how wonderful the Christian life is. Let this book transform you. Don't let this world push you. Let this book transform you. And let's be what God desires for us to be. Father.